Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go for your podcasting fix. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360, and your host on today's podcast. Now, in today's episode, I'm being joined by Mark Aldred, who's the Vice President of International Sales at Ariga. Mark is here to educate us on the latest trends and issues facing the banking industry. So, Mark, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on today. Hello, nice to be here, Max. Nice to have you on, and uh, we've got a lot that we can kind of dissect around this topic matter. But before we get into those questions, would you mind just giving our listeners a bit of background on yourself and Ariga? Well, I'm a 40-year veteran of providing solutions to banks who wish to deliver their products and services to their customers digitally. So I've seen a number of iterations, a number of generations, a number of uh, infrastructural and architectural changes over those years. Um, Origa is a 30-year-old business based in Europe with a very dominant position in the Italian marketplace, now growing globally, and brings with it the idea of omni-channel banking in, in two words. We support and believe that every channel should be treated equally, shouldn't be siloed, that customer experiences should be joined up, should be personal, should be navigated by the customer and be, be a matter of choice. So we bring solutions that help banks deliver their services digitally to their clients. Excellent stuff. So you've been on the front line for a lot of changes. And uh, if we say that the last 12, 18 months have been full of changes, I think that'd be a, an understatement to say the least. So I'm kind of curious to start this show here by asking you, what are the biggest challenges facing the banking industry today, especially when we've just followed the COVID-19 crisis? And I'm just curious, obviously, the 2008 global recession was a while ago, but are we seeing any kind of remnant resurfacing from that as well? Well, where do we start with the challenges faced by banks? They've always been challenged. Um, some of those challenges, there's a common thread through the generations. But right now, I guess I'd start with customer behavior and customer expectations. You're certainly right that COVID, that the pandemic has had a massive impact and certainly on customer behaviors, both through regulation, through legislation, and through um, the, the natural behaviors of the customers during this difficult time. But their expectations have changed as well as they adopt and use different technologies. And one of the real challenges for banks is to determine between different generations, between different behaviors, between different trends, you know, what is the real, um, the, the real behavioral trend? Is it caused um, by, by technology? Is it driven by COVID? Is it permanent? Is it temporary? So I think customer behavior and customer expectations are really one of the foremost challenges and areas for focuses. But while doing that, they're still faced, they remain challenged by regulation. And most financial institutions, most providers of, of banking services spend a massive amount of a proportion of their budgets on regulation. Um, and, and that continues to be a burden. But of course, there's very good reasons why banks are regulated. And you mentioned 2008. And a lot of that regulation comes from that period or post that period. Competition is different today. They've always been a, in a competitive landscape, but competition is different. There isn't a level playing field. There are new entrants who don't have the same legacy infrastructure, the same uh, costs as the incumbents. But even the new entrants are disadvantaged as well because of the lack of a level playing field. There's 
a reliance on on service of, of new types of digital channels. There's reliance on third parties, and we've seen examples of apps that have failed and of, of networks that have failed bringing down banking digital banking capabilities. So these are real challenges as well, having an infrastructure that's reliable, having an app that's reliable, and having an app that keeps up with the market trends. There's the impact of technology. You know, outside of banks, we've spoken about customers expect different things. Everybody's got a smartphone in their pocket, which they wish to do everything on. But inside banks, AI, chatbots, and other technologies are creating opportunity, but also challenges. Um, and, and measuring which of those technologies can be used and deployed in which ways to best deliver products and services to customers. These are, these are amongst the challenges. Legacy infrastructure. The incumbent banks have generations of legacy infrastructure. And frankly, most of it wasn't built for this world. Channels are siloed. The infrastructure is high cost. Change of the infrastructure is high risk. So if they were going to try and be the bank of the future, many of them wouldn't actually start from here. And underpinning all of this, whatever decisions they make, whatever directions they take, there's the risk of reputational damage. And reputations are very fragile, very flimsy, especially in a well-educated world and with social media doing its thing as well. So really, the challenges are enormous. The economy, it looks very fragile right now. I think it's, it's possible, it's, it, it's credible to be uh, optimistic in the medium term. But these are very challenging times. And uh, I think banks have to cut their cloth but um, they're facing a, an unprecedented amount of channels from all of these different areas. I think I'd be more optimistic about the economy than to say we're, we're facing another global recession, but we are still recovering from that first global, that last, pardon me, global recession. 100% agree. It's uh, When you put it like that, it's such an uphill battle, isn't it, to kind of tackle all of those and still keep moving forward as well and as you say, not damaging the reputation as well for anything that does get introduced and being brought forward. So th there's a lot to kind of unpack and there's a lot of ways that um, the industry is evolving and how people are using banks, how people are using finances is evolving as well. And there's, if, if we take it, that example from a more recent kind of fintech news element, there's the angle of the UK's government's access to cash consultation. So what can you tell us about this in terms of, is it revolutionary? How is it going to help? And, and really, what is it? Okay, it, it, it's a good uh, topic to raise. It's, I would say, first of all, not before time. The, there is an attack on cash driven by many different interests. So the government's access to cash consultation is, is as I say, not before time. Is it revolutionary? I don't believe it is. In fact, I'm disappointed by it. It's certainly laudable that the UK government is showing an interest. It's certainly laudable that they're not setting um, setting themselves a direction of trying to drive the country cashless and, and other governments and other interest bodies in, in other countries have, have done just that. So in that respect, it's a good thing. Uh, but it's disappointing in that it appears to leave the industry to manage itself. And it's already been proven time and time again and every day that the industry will serve its own interests and that of its shareholders um, and, and they'll always put those ahead of the, the interests of what is, in fairness, the minority of their customers who, who um, need the choice of cash or who demand the choice of cash. And, and there is a difference between need and, and want. Um, there are some initiatives alongside the scheme, alongside the consultation, which, again, show willing. Link, for example, owned by all of the banks, uh, is very proud of the fact that it's placed 70 free ATMs back into the community. But if you counter that with the thousands of ATMs that have disappeared, 
clearly that's there's an imbalance. It's not good enough to say that that uh, solves the problem or has any chance of doing so. Cashback without purchase, again, it's laudable. It's a it's an idea, uh, but it remains to be seen whether there will be evidence that it'll significantly help um, those people who need access to cash. And of course, small businesses uh, shouldn't be forgotten alongside retail customers uh, in, in this in this battle. Um, retail as well, the people who are expected to deliver this service cash back without purchase, it doesn't follow that it's in their interest. It doesn't follow that it's easy for them to do. In fact, they're under, under just as much pressure as the banks are. So the consequence of all of this is that rural communities, small businesses are being left behind and the consultation doesn't give me much optimism that, that their needs are being addressed rapidly or as a, or as a priority. Um, we're working, we are eager, are working in Belgium uh, with an organization called Batapin, the four major banks uh, in that country. And their objective is that by 2024, 95% of Belgian citizens will have an ATM within five kilometers of the door. Um, that seems to be heading in exactly the opposite direction to the way the UK uh, seems to be going at the moment. And the consultation doesn't lay foundations to change that. So I would say, you know, let's be more Belgian and, and less British about this. Let's think about access to cash. And the consultation is is good, but it, it needs to have been more. And, and banks need to think more carefully and perhaps exceed the expectations of the consultation in order to meet the expectations of their customers. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's very interesting um, because it, it's very short-sighted to say that everyone is just going digital and, and that's the way it's kind of going because there's a lot of people within communities, within within especially in the UK, who need access to cash and use it quite regularly. They're, they're not used to the switchover as of yet. So just to expand on that point a little bit more, I'm kind of curious, why do you think we're going this way and Belgium's kind of going the other way? How, how would you like to see it kind of um, evolve here? Well, well, certainly um, a growing number of people, certain demographics are less reliant on cash, much prefer the digital alternative. Um, and, and that works for them, but it doesn't work for those who don't make that choice. And so the Belgian model is one where they have taken account of all of the demographics. And, and let's face it, some of those who most rely on cash may also at the moment still be some of those with the highest net worth. So it's really not in banks' interest to disenfranchise them, to cut them off. Um, the behaviours as well of, of going cashless, you know, th there was a lot of talk during the pandemic about this being a cleaner solution. It's not. There was a lot of talk about the trends. They're not permanent. You know, restaurants and other retail outlets are desperate to reopen their high street presences, are desperate to have their customers back and will do all that they can to achieve it. Banks, on the other hand, have taken the approach that this is a an opportunity and excuse, dare I say, to close branches as well as take out ATMs. So, so that's what I mean by the opposite direction. Uh, and I think you know the self-interest of the bank is maybe better served by looking less at the costs that they're saving by making these closures and more at the reputational risk of, of withdrawing access to cash. Um, so, so I think you know we need to we need to think that way. Mm, yeah, I agree. I think it's, you know, you only have to look at even before the pandemic, branches were being closed, hours were being cut, you know, it, this isn't a new thing, as you see, that's just come from the pandemic. This is something that's been going on for a while. So it's it's interesting to see how things are being used going forward to, to kind of justify those means. And 
I'm obviously curious about how all of this is transforming and how things are kind of are changing. Our bread and butter of what we do is is technology here. So, and digital technology is being used to transform pretty much every sector, and that includes banking, obviously. So, I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts. As you mentioned at the top of the show, we are seeing new trends coming in. So, what are your thoughts on current digital banking trends, solutions? Say, if we're talking self service software. Um, impact on legacy systems and uh, just general customer experience overall from that. Yeah, Max. Uh, well, I think first of all, digi- digital is a broad church, and it, it means different things to different people. Um, a, a whole range of banking channels are actually and factually digital. And, and you mentioned self-service. The ATM was a very early digital channel. Too often, it's considered a kind of legacy channel, but it is, you know, one of the early forms of digital engagement with customers and many of the ways in which banks engage with their customers would would design to drive down costs but also sent their customers further away and and broke down the relationship with customers the the assumption today is that when we say digital we mean a very narrow set of services we mean online and we mean mobile And, and my personal view is that that's not the best way to think we must consider all of the channels in the mix so we know that online and the mobile have proved unreliable. So if we were to see a future reliant on only those channels, well, we could be in some serious trouble because we already know that online mobile um, channels have proven unreliable for a number of banks in the UK and elsewhere. There have been failures of the apps. There's been failures of the networks, whether they're run by the banks or some third party and some very recent examples of third party network failures. So to rely on channels which are fundamentally unreliable is is actually not the best direction to set. I think that the branch has been seen as a burden, and you rightly said that before COVID, branch closures were de rigueur, and they continue, and they accelerate. But but is the branch a burden? It's also a, a USP for legacy banks. It's actually envied by new entrants. You know, you see Uh, organizations like Starling signing relationships with the post office to give them access to their 11,000 counters. So branches aren't uh, very fashionable, but they are a really effective way of engaging with customers. And in many customers' expectations, the only and the best way. So I think in future, the channel thinking has to be about mix. Um, There has to be change in branches. There has to be change in self-service. And Auriga are one of the companies that are driving that because there's a lot of legacy that makes it hard to change and hard to hard to motivate uh, to innovate. Excuse me. Um, I think spreading across channels as well is much better than racing to the bottom and having a single channel. There's, you know, we don't have many examples of single channel banks that are profitable, that are growing, that are, you know, that are, that are the best model for the future. So a range of channels is really important, not least to give customers choice, and customers. Must well, they want, but they must be allowed to have a common experience, a personalized experience, navigate it their own way across multiple channels, taking the journey of their choice. And, and all of that is really difficult if you've got the wrong infrastructure. And, and we at Ariga are a company that are very focused on delivering an infrastructure which enables all of this. And that's key to our competence and key, we think, to the future of, of how to best deliver the best mix of digital channels. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's very key where you're saying choice is going to be the supreme because it has to be. As we've been saying throughout this whole podcast, banking is not just exclusive to a set 
generation or, or set people it, it, it's everyone needs it everyone uses it so it needs to be adaptable for for all resources uh as we say some people are going to love using the online app version and they're not going to use um a, a direct branch whereas the flip is is also true so how can really financial organizations keep up with you know new banking industry trends whilst managing the disruption and obstacles that often accompany them and go forward from that direction? Yeah, I, th I think the answer to that question is probably different on depending on where uh, financial organizations start. If they're a legacy bank, they start from one extreme position. They have bricks and mortar, they have legacy infrastructure, they have um, established channels, but, but perhaps they don't have the most innovative, the best the most exciting uh, apps that uh, we're seeing emerge from from new entrants. So for them, I think the advice is don't panic, first of all, and don't give up your advantage. It's really easy to see the those things which are unique to the legacy banks as being a, an encumbrance, a burden, and to dispose of them. And you'll only get one chance at that. Once that's gone, it's gone. So, so I think the legacy banks, don't panic. Don't give up your advantage cheaply. But do look at infrastructure. Is the infrastructure, the technological infrastructure on which a bank is built, is it fit for purpose? Can it be easily and incrementally modernized? Uh, because if it can, then you can start to exploit your strengths. And, and the strengths of the legacy banks are plainly their client base and the breadth of products that they've got and the data, of course, held within all of those. I think legacy banks should really consider, and we see examples of it, so this is not new news, but they could, should consider collaboration. They should consider partnership. That was the best way to become more agile, as the best way to deliver better apps, to deliver more innovative stuff that appeals to a broader demographic. Not every innovator is the enemy of the legacy bank. Not every innovator wants to take over the world. However, if you are a newcomer, if you do have those ambitions, then um, you know, I think there's an opportunity um, to to grow your customer base, to grow your deposits, but only if you differentiate. And you should look at, again, partnerships as a way of accelerating growth uh, and also concentrate very early on on growing a portfolio so that, so that the single-channel mobile banks offer more and more products and services to more and more people more and more profitably across more and more channels. So I think, you know, there's, there's room in this for everyone. Everyone has an advantage and, every, and, and a disadvantage. Um, but fundamentally, where it is an advantage, don't give it up cheaply. And where it's a, a, it, where it's a problem, don't panic, because I think there's too many signs of knee-jerk rapid um, reductions in, in uh, for example, branch infrastructure, which are probably not the best long-term solutions. Exactly that. It, it's not wise to panic and make rash decisions. It's it's as we said at the start of the show, it is kind of an uphill battle, but it's also kind of a seesaw in, in the sense of, as you say, there's benefits and negatives on either side that, that you've really got to find the balance with and overcorrecting too quickly can be can be damaging at the end of the day. So it, it leads me nice on to my final question, because I'm, I'm curious to get from from your perspective here, Mark. Where do you see digital banking heading over the next few years, or should I say, where do you hope to see it go? And how is Aruja, the next gen bank, leading that banking evolution? Okay, well, thanks, thanks for asking that question because it does give me the opportunity to talk about Aruja's view of the future, uh, and we call that the next gen bank. You're absolutely right. So, first, first of all, I would say that um, digital banking 
um, with, with, with continuing demographic changes and behavioral changes and technology changes, it'll continue to grow. It'll continue to be, uh, it'll start to be the de facto if it isn't already. And some channels will be much more popular than others. Uh, but I don't believe that mobile alone will ever be enough. So what that means is then that the branches have to change. What's wrong with branches? Well, there's too many of them. Uh, sometimes they're in the wrong place. So I think the branch of the future, the next gen bank, uh, and Auriga's technologies could sit at the heart of this. There'll be there'll be less in number, less branches. They'll be unattended, <clears throat> and and in a post pandemic world, contactless branches could be very much uh, something that that people will embrace. They can be twenty four hour. Um, they can be remotely supported, so they don't need to have staff through the through the day and through the night. And they can be report uh, supported, excuse me, through video and audio assistance from subject matter experts who could be located elsewhere. A hundred percent of the transactions that a customer expects to um, transact in a bank branch can be automated. And, and so the branch of the future will be a hundred percent automated. Uh, it'll be possible for the customer to activate all of the devices with or without physical or remote support. And those branches could be shared between institutions with a common set of products or, or could be unique to a, an organization. They could be pop-up, they could be mobile. So, so the bank of the future, the next-gen branch, the next-gen bank, could be all of those things if the technology is right. And, and what that will mean is that customers will enjoy a better customer experience and a personalized journey and access to more, rela more reliable access to more reliable services, including cash. So cash, you know, again, may, cash use may continue to fall, but in the mix, um, it's not just about cash, it's about other services and having reliable and accessible use of those services. So Auriga, in order to make sure that that future is possible as well as desirable, will continue to provide the building blocks that we have provided in the past to our customers to, to do that. That means an infrastructure which integrates all channels and treats them equally, treats them all as digital rather than as different kinds of, of technologies. And no other technology leader, no other incumbent in this space offers that at the moment. So uniquely, we offer an infrastructure which will integrate all the channels. The tools to manage a self-assisted service estate and the branch of the future are also something we'll continue to offer. And at the moment, only Auriga has all of the tools in an all-in-one solution available. So we can provide all of the pieces to manage the cash, to manage the technology, to manage the customer experience and the data and all around that. We can also provide protection from the, you know, we haven't spoken about cybersecurity, we haven't spoken about fraud, but these are real challenges and real threats. So Auriga will provide the protection from logical attacks on channels, which by definition are remote and therefore vulnerable. And as a result of all of that, our job is to help legacy banks uh, reduce their costs and increase their efficiency of all of their channels, including the modified branch. And we'll work with them, and, and many of those are already our customers, of course, in different geographies across the world. We'll work with them to redefine what the branch looks like as part of a different digital mix. Uh, that'll mean we'll help them improve the customer's experience to protect their market position um, and help legacy banks respond and preempt to change and to challenge and to competition. But we'll also support new entrants who want to have a presence in communities, who want to take advantage of these pop-up branches, these compact 24-hour full-service automated branches. 
But above all, what we will do, and we believe that our industry has an obligation to do, is to continue to invest in innovation so that we can manage and our customers can manage whatever comes next. And, and you know, when we sit down in 10 years, who knows what, what will that, that will have been. Exactly. It's that preparedness and uh, planning for the future. And I think uh, Auriga's in a great space to kind of help with that and kind of move that forward. So it's interesting to see how it kind of uh, evolves. And as you say, there's there's so much that we, we could have touched on, but we would have kept our listeners here all day, I think, if we'd uh, delved into any more. But uh, Certainly all I, I could talk think... all day on the subject in a sense. That exactly, exactly. Yeah. Especially if we get into the, the cybersecurity element. But just means, Mike, you got to come back and have another chat with me at some point. So Happy um, to. We'd love to. to Thanks that. for having me today. Very welcome. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this episode. We do hope you took a lot away. But if you are looking for more information, then please head on over to origaspa.com. That's origaspa.com. They've got some fantastic white papers on there that delve into what we've been speaking about a little bit further. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. In the meantime, please join the conversation at Ian360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. Subscribe on all major podcast platforms. And for more great daily content, head on over to em360tech.com. You've been listening to the EM360 Podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.